Hello, and welcome to an Art Crimes wrap-up show. We, uh, this latest trilogy, we had 2006, Night at the Museum, 1999's The Thomas Crown Affair, and 2021's Red Notice. Um, Travis, I don't know if you want to just go ahead and jump right into it here and give me your initial thoughts of our, our Art Crimes trilogy, um, or if you want me to do the honors of going first here, but, uh... I'll leave it to you to decide. Um, <clears throat> I, I just quickly want to say, and I think you mentioned it at the end of our last recording. I don't know if it made it to air or not, but I think this was the weakest trilogy we've ever created in the Hollywood Chop Shop. <laughs> uh, we were basing it on a current release, Red Notice. So there was some risk inherent in, in doing that. Yeah. I think there were major problems with the other two selections that we had as well. Uh, but I'll kind of save those for one of our segments, objective and subjective. What were your overall thoughts of the trilogy though? Um, I don't think Hollywood knows how to do an art heist movie. That's, that was what my, my takeaway. Cause I'm trying to, even after this, I should think, okay, I, cause I agree. Weakest trilogy we've, we've done by far um, three, I don't think we hit anything. If you listen to the the original or the initial reviews, we weren't a huge fan of any of these movies. Um, some of them, I think, got a little bit of a, a pass because of the genre that they so happened to live in. But ultimately, I think all three of them were, were pretty subpar movies. But at the end of the day, I was trying to think of, like, what are some other movies in which art is being stolen that I would replace this with? And I that I would have put like, OK, we could have put a, a better movie in here. And I honestly could not really think of one. Um, and I don't know if that goes to just the problem with an art heist movie is that the stakes just aren't there like it's typically somebody rich or somebody stealing something for somebody rich so like there's no sense of urgency or any kind of real tension because like at the end of the day if they get caught they were stealing artwork so who like the majority of people I, we always go back to dennis leary at the end of thomas crown affair it's like i don't give a shit about somebody stealing brush strokes right like it's just there's no real stakes in these movies so it so much of the movie has to depend on you actually having some kind of connection with the characters. And at that point, it's one of these weird things where, like, you're rooting for, I won't go so far as to say a villain, but what you would, you know, traditionally say as a as a worse character. You know, Han Solo was a, you know, uh, a I don't even think he was a gun runner at that point. I mean, he was really just a smuggler. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's I think there's something lovable about a smuggler versus an art thief. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I just I don't know if there's if you can really make a movie where you're going to really connect with and appreciate an art thief. I find it interesting you say that because. I think you could easily make a couple of minor tweaks and an art heist film would be a heist film like Ocean's Eleven. I think even Ocean's 12 is kind of borderline an art thief movie, isn't mm. it? And I, and I cared a lot more about the stakes in all three of those movies and even 12, which a lot of people view as the worst. But that took place in the world of high art, but I was still compelled, whereas this movie – these or this trilogy went over three for me. Yeah, and maybe it's a – you need a, a Robin Hood element to it where it's somebody who's stealing from the rich to give to the poor where at the end of the day, like, oh, that's where this is going. And like as we were saying that, I think – what was the – there was a movie about a, a group of soldiers that were stealing Nazi art. I forget what it was called. And I was like, actually, that might that might be one that you could swap out. And I, I think it was Spike Lee directed it. And I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, uh, Miracle at Santa Ana? I th weren't they stealing art in that, or am I wrong on that? I, I'd be lying if I told you I remember the details. Um, I thought, it, yeah, I thought that had something. To, granted, I'm looking at it; it got it's got terrible reviews too. I thought that that one had something to do about them getting artwork back, but I could be completely wrong. And that went to, there is a movie. Maybe it wasn't this one. There was a war movie about stealing artwork. No, I don't think it was this one. I think I wanted You're it. You're talking to about be the monuments, man? That was it. That's the one I'm looking for. Also, I don't think that got good reviews. That was a 2014 film. 
uh, George Clooney, Matt Damon, Bill Murray, uh, Kate Blanchett. I mean, top tier cast in that. If I'm going to go. So just bring back the Ocean's Eleven leads. Yeah, exactly. Um, It has a three star on IMDb, which I don't want to ruin the. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's not rated much in terms of IMDb because I don't want to spoil our, you know, our um, what's it called? Uh, God, objective bless it. subjective. Yes, the the Rotten Tomato scoring, um, it got about the same on IMDb as the other movies. So yes, it looks like again. I just don't know. The problem is, I think the majority of people don't care about art enough. To find any kind of connect or like again stakes like at the end of the day even in oceans 11 they're stealing from an asshole casino and enough people have lost their money in the casino that you're rooting for oceans 11 to get your money back because the house doesn't always win like you know they're still the underdog wars i just think the majority of people don't give a shit about art so like at the end of the day if your heroes don't steal the artwork no one cares right and I think that's, at the end of the day, my biggest problem, or not problem, but I think that's that's an issue that all these movies face. And in this genre, if you're going to do an art heist movie, the, I think generally audiences don't care if you get away with the art or not, you know? Unless, again, if you're going to try and go that Robin Hood um, approach. On its face, I agree with you. But that presupposes that an art heist movie can't have any of the other elements that make a dramatic movie successful. Maybe we don't care about the Mona Lisa getting stolen, but you can invest me in a couple of characters as to why they're doing that job. Uh, you know, I mentioned briefly in my chop shop last week, uh, triple frontier being one of the inspirations on how I would change red, uh, red notice, excuse me. And part of triple frontier is, Hey, they're robbing from a drug dealer, a drug cartel guy. We've seen that a million times, but the movie does a a brief amount of setup on, hey, these guys are ex-military. They've given life and limb for this country, and they're broke. So why not use that training to go steal something? Boom, already you've got, hey, treat our soldiers better in this country when they come home as a backdrop to a heist movie. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's that hard to throw in a few other elements that would make you care about at least one character in the movie. And I think this trilogy failed every single time at that part. Yeah, I, I, I won't disagree with that at all. And even Night at the Museum, and we throw it in as a, the art heist is, is almost an afterthought with Night at the Museum. Um, but even to that point, just still kind of poorly done. Yeah, and... I'm very worried not to get ahead of ourselves. I would almost bet that you made the same character swap I did this week. Uh, we'll see. I, I'll be interested to see if we did. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was thinking about the Thomas Crown Affair um, and Red Notice. The Catherine Banning character, you mentioned in our review of Thomas Crown, she's supposed to be Thomas Crown's equal, and yet she's bested every single time. And it makes for a nothing character, but then I was thinking about in Red Notice, the character, was it Doss that works for Interpol? Mm-hmm. The movie, like every other character, several times has her show up like, ha, surprise, I knew what you were doing. Which is technically the opposite of Catherine Banning, because Catherine Banning never gets ahead in the movie. But even when Doss does, it just feels like it's a quick gotcha moment, and then the tables are reversed on her again. Well, she never learns from it either, because it's always like she goes, rather than waiting and setting a trap, it's always like goes in guns blazing. Which again, I thought was insanely weird for an art heist movie. Like The main characters or your your three crooks ultimately don't pose any threat to you know humanity or anything like that they're they're just stealing artwork and yet the amount of brute force used against them is is almost insane you know yeah i was trying to think in red notice when any of the three i guess heroes but technically villains again another problem with that movie should we be rooting for them or not 
But the most danger the public has ever put in is like the museum chase at the beginning where security workers are miraculously falling off scaffoldings and being fine. And then in like the bullfight at the end, technically the villains got an automatic weapon, but the bull immediately dispatches him. Yeah. You know, so there's no real world tension at all to any of these movies, which again, you can get away with at night at the museum because it's filed under family friendly. And there's also a crazy fantasy element to it. So <laughs> your true, suspension yes. of disbelief is already pretty much thrown out the window when the T-Rex bones come to life. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, I just, it is, it's crazy to look at the three of these. I mean, there's almost, ten, I mean, there's almost 10 years between the Thomas Crown Affair and not at the museum. And there's, almost 15 or there are 15 years between night of the museum and red notice and it seems like at no point did anybody really learn their lesson as to how to make this work because again you, you don't get that many art heist movies so it's just and i guess you have a lot of night of the museum like sequels and stuff like that which i think pretty much continued to go dramatically downhill but it uh yeah and it yeah i mean to, to look at well, the three of them too and just trying to, to look at them and besides just like I think story elements looking at the leads and stuff like that. I mean, red notice was a movie that I think it, I think is going to be by far the worst in terms of story, but is carried by its, its actors because they're, you know, they've got the charisma Thomas crown affair to me is like middle of the road. Like I didn't hate or love them. I just was kind of indifferent to it. Whereas none of the museum, we agreed that Ben Stiller was probably not the right choice for that, you know, protagonist where, that movie might have been a little bit better had it been, you know, a Brendan Fraser or somebody else had been cast as the, you know, kind of fuck up dad. Yeah, I guess oddly enough, Night at the Museum had the most ultimate potential to succeed in its genre. And, you know, anybody listening to this, and as you mentioned, there were two sequels. So clearly it was a success by some measure. But I think it actually could have been a legitimately fun movie for most ages, if you didn't have the bumbling Ben Stiller every man element at the at the middle of the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't my character swap, but just, you know, as we're talking about it, wouldn't it have been funny if we took the three cons from Red Notice and they became the security cards at Not of the Museum? Oh, it would have been much more fun because I know we're bouncing around here, but it's just general conversation. I was trying to think of the through line about why this trilogy was so bad. And it comes down to base level storytelling, Brett. You have to have a protagonist and an antagonist, and preferably both of those are enjoyable. I, I struggle to find who the protagonists and antagonists are of each one of these movies. I mean, I guess the easiest one is Larry, played by Ben Stiller at Night of the Museum. But he's got no compelling antagonist. It's just him. Like like you said when we reviewed it, they do a good job of making the mother of his child a believable character. She's not a ball breaker for no reason. She's just concerned. So therefore, not a great antagonist. And Larry, again, is kind of a limp dick protagonist. Red Notice... Who are the protagonists? Who are the antagonists? Well, I mean, I think Red Notice and Thomas Crown Affair both fall into the same thing where it winds up being the protagonist and the antagonist are rivals. But neither of them are necessarily in the right. And the Thomas Crown Affair is weird because the protagonist winds up siding with the antagonist, with her rival, and, and goes down that road. Whereas, yeah, both of them, both Red Notice and Thomas Crown, they wind up teaming up and being together at the end. You know, which which is a real weird thing, because then again, you know, Thomas Crown Affair, I don't think was ever going to get a, a sequel or anything like that. But like Red Notice, clearly they were trying to line that up for a Red Notice 2, which I don't imagine it's going to get. But again, it, it comes back to these like, OK, now they're going to team up and, you know, looking ahead of, unfortunately, knowing what the third installment of Not of the Museum Ultimately, Larry was going to have to team up with the security guards because it's revealed that the security guards apparently were at the dig site when they unearthed the magical tablet that gave them life or, you know, when at night gave them like their spryness and stuff like that. So, like, 
again, it winds up being all of these go to the whole thing where like the good guys and bad guys wind up becoming the same. Like, oh, let's all team up and be friends now, which is, again, bizarre. It's just bizarre that that's kind of where all these movies go. I mean, you say bizarre, but that's a big reason why the Fast franchise is on its 10th film now is because they do this, introduce a villain to then make them part of the team later. So I think that is just what big budget filmmaking has become. I mean, yeah, you even think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, Loki was the big baddie, and at this point, they're already trying to convert him into a sympathetic villain that you're going to root for. And I assume, ultimately, his variant is going to wind up becoming a member of the new Avengers team as they continue through Phase 5, 6, or whatever they're going to wind up being on. So it is weird to do that. At a certain point, everyone makes the villain into a hero. Like, you know, that's... A villain has to redeem itself. Yeah, I mean, on a long enough timeline, they're going to fold all of these characters back into themselves. It's, and it, it just feels like, I guess you could say it's it's what the comic world's been doing forever. Well, it's, but it doesn't feel like a natural fit for a cinematic universe, dude, if that's Marvel or otherwise. Dude, it's a reverse Dark Knight. You either die the villain or live long enough to see yourself become the hero. <laughs> I was I was trying to make a way for that line to work, so yeah, you nailed it. It's like, what the uh, what? Why does that have to be the course? Like, you either die or you wind up becoming the object. Like, that has, well, that's the only way we can tell the story. I'm like, no, or you could just let the character live off and not have any more story. Like, you know, they could just end their story and we can start anew as opposed to having to do a, a flip-flop but um yeah, i guess ultimately you die a hero you die a villain or you sign a long enough contract where they'll flip you back and forth yeah are you gonna be a heel or a face uh they're taking re notes from wrestling travis they're taking notes from wrestling right now <laughs> but um I do want to say one thing before we get into our objective and subjective ratings of these three movies, and that is, as I thought more and more about Red Notice in our review, and you talking about the algorithm, you know, the I'm not going to say that the director writer um, of Red Notice is like some well known person or art house per you know guy it's or anything the director like that. of Dodgeball. Like Dodgeball was fantastic, but then after that he did Skyscraper, so it feels like he. I don't want to say sellout, but like that became to me is just a generic blockbuster, whereas Dodgeball was kind of a genre like that was the next evolution in comedy, you know, but um, you have Red Notice. And we said it was very, you know, did the algorithm, you know, control that and did that kind of sway how that movie was done? If that's the case, does it give you any pause about the Knives Out sequels? Because we both loved Knives Out, and do you think, do you have any fear that Ryan Johnson's vision will be manipulated by the Netflix execs? I, you're a fool if you have no concern at all. But I do think Ryan Johnson has a strong enough artistic vision and he was burned by the Star Wars machine, the Disney machine. I think he will have enough courage of his conviction to say to Netflix, hey, you've got maybe two to three actual Oscar-worthy level films that you've ever produced. You know, and one of them was Martin Scorsese, so that's low-hanging fruit. I can give you another one. On a pretty small budget, just get the fuck out of my way. Um... You almost now, wonder if it's if, in his contract. Like, is there something in the contract where he he gets to make sure that his vision stays pretty intact? It's, I would think so, but it's tough with this new era of Hollywood because in the old days he could say, as long as I clear, you know, 70 million opening weekend, you greenlight my sequel automatically. Again, no notes. My concern would be, how does Netflix gauge whether it's a success? Because I mean, he's guaranteed it, two, right? It's got to be viewer count. So it's, I mean, they've, 
I mean, Red Notice, as much as we we kind of shit all over it, like they are boasting how much like it, it's a, it's it's highest grossing Netflix. Uh, what is it? Viewing ever? Blah, blah, blah. You know how they're they're trying to equate it to how you would Hollywood but viewing and stuff like that. But who has that data ultimately? Oh, is Netflix it just does. Netflix? Yeah. And Netflix does not share that. Like that was a big deal with um, what is it? Uh, Dave Chappelle's The Closer, someone leaked the numbers and got fired immediately. Like, that's a big deal. Netflix does not share those. They don't share those numbers with anybody. And, and that's what concerns me is because they should have every incentive to want to cater to Ryan Johnson. I'm assuming they didn't give Martin Scorsese notes. So I hope he, he gets that same level of respect. Not because he's got the cachet of Scorsese, but how often do you want to dump $200 million into something like red notice? I don't know. I mean, I look at Netflix to me is going to be like, we, we talked about like the early 2000, early to mid 2000, 2010s, whatever you want to call it. I never know what to call that decade. Like that was the our favorites. No, that's not even the odds. Yeah. I have no idea what you call it, but that was our favorite decade of kind of like cinema because it was that perfect balance of like, Equipment and ideas became cheap enough that you could take a risk on some of the indie darlings and stuff like that. And some weird stuff was coming out because, again, you didn't. And even then, actors wanted to, you know, there was a certain level of wanting to be in some of those indie movies because they were a little bit more cerebral and fun and different than just, you know, your generic cookie cutter Hollywood stuff. My hope was that Netflix was going to help try and fill that void. And even HBO Max, maybe that, you know, with Warner Brothers. They would start to fund some of these little things that, listen, we're not going to invest the money to try and put this in theaters, but we're willing to give enough money to bring in some of these streaming views and keep people on the platform. So that's ultimately at the end of the day, that's what I'm hoping Netflix does. I haven't quite seen it yet. I mean, Red Notice might be one of those films, you know, where it's like, okay, we're okay spending. Well, I mean, Red Notice was hella expensive. So it's not Red Notice is not the best example of this, but like, wouldn't it be great if Netflix did a Wes Anderson film? You know, where it's like, okay, they start doing some of these little weird indie ones. Or, you know, again, like an Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where they wind up funding, like, we'll throw some money at this because, you know, we've created our own studio and all this. And it's we're actually super efficient in the way that we make movies. We make them way cheaper. But we're giving people an opportunity to take their kind of avant-garde ideas that, you know, you know aren't going to be blockbusters, aren't going to bring in Marvel money. And then they now have an... an a decent platform for those movies. I I don't have it because I refuse to pay another subscription fee, but it feels like Apple TV has already surpassed Netflix on that front. Yeah. Cause I, again, I don't own it. I don't, I don't plan to, but the content that I see coming from them f- describes what you're saying much more than what Netflix does. I think, the most generous reading you could give to Netflix on that front is they're willing to fund television shows mm-hmm. that are kind of mid-budget, something like Ozark. But true cinema, I've not seen that from them other than maybe The Irishman. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen the new Western they've put out, The Harder They Fall. I'm interested in that one. But again, that's the exception, not the rule to me. Yeah, I mean, we will, we will see where that goes. So... But just something, you know, food for thought. I'd, I'd like to see, after, again, watching Red Notice, because originally, and this is another weird one, because originally it was supposed to, I think, be Universal was going to do a full theatrical release, and then Netflix, I guess, bought it for distribution rights. So very interested, again, to see what happens with with all of them, because at the end of the day, I'm sure Netflix doesn't care if this is critically acclaimed, if it's if they think it's bringing in subscribers. But even then, how do you how do you equate that? Is it someone who paid for the subscription and within three days they watched Red Notice or something like or they bought it and immediately like how do you I'd love to see what data they have to prove that someone got a Netflix subscription or kept a Netflix subscription because they had Red Notice. You know, it's it's weird stuff like that. Like who who's doing the math behind the scene for that? I think the only math and I hate to say it because it's just, it's cynical and it's not the spirit of Hollywood filmmaking, but I think all they're interested in is the quarterly investor calls. Yeah. They can say, Hey, I know we had a dip, but we've got the rock Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot coming out next quarter. And as long as they can put out a couple splashy movies, at least on the surface, I think that's the concern. I mean, you say that, but the funny thing is, you know, 
Netflix got Red Notice. And I don't know. I mean, I guess you could say HBO has Wonder Woman with Gal Gadot. But I'm like, you look at Disney Plus. Disney Plus has Jungle Cruise, which I believe is higher rated and more well-received in terms of The Rock. And they have Free Guy, which is Ryan Reynolds, which was more well-received, I believe, than Red Notice. So Disney Plus has a movie with both of are two of the three leads from Red Notice that comparably were better received by, I, I would I could look it up, but probably by critics and audiences. So the question is, I mean, is, again, if you're looking at it from a quarterly call, like if I'm an investor, do I say, oh yeah, no, you got this. Or I'm like, no, Disney's got the same people and they're doing it better, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise. It, I don't think Netflix has the creative leadership to ultimately give a shit. I think, you know, the Disney's of the world, they're still just as concerned about their quarterly sales call. They just have a much deeper and longer creative route into Hollywood than Netflix does. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think I've said it on this podcast within the last six months. I don't see Netflix lasting long term. I think they're going to, they've perfected, you know, they, kind of made streaming what it is but the market is going to correct them with some of these giants that have now come into it and i think something like red notice is just a prime example of that they are certainly going to have to do i they're going to have to work with the ryan johnsons of the world well they are but the other side of it is the squid games where they didn't pay a lot for squid games and squid games became a huge phenomenon and i think that that's the other that, that's the two games that they're playing is that they want the ryan johnsons they want to attract every once in a while they have one of these big budget movies to keep people thinking oh netflix is in it for real but i think netflix is their true game is the the quantity over quality and we've talked about that before too we're like i feel netflix just wants to throw as much low budget stuff as you as possible in the hopes that something catches, like, because again, that you look at Netflix's schedule, they're constantly releasing original material, and whether it's original that it's actually Netflix original or it's dubbed Netflix original because they've purchased, you know, licensing rights from a foreign territory. But they just they love chucking stuff at you, and then they hope that they get a Squid Game out there where it's like they paid, you know, pennies on the dollar for that, and it became like freaking huge, you know. And that's, I think that's their other game is they, they are just going to throw pennies at everything, hoping to God that it turns into something bigger. And I think ultimately that's where they will find much more success. Um, like you said, they just have to keep the brand prestigious enough to attract people like you and me as viewers. And then people like Ryan Johnson as creators. Mm-hmm. So, all right. With that said, let's go ahead and get into our objective and subjective, you know, uh, what is it, rankings of these movies. So, Travis, I'm going to have you start us off objectively, all right? The first time listening to a rap, we like to break this into objective and subjective um, because from one end, we can look at movies as a, as a critic, you know, saying, okay, you know, if we're looking at the story, the way that it was filmed, cinematography, acting, and all that, this was the superior film. But that doesn't always mean that that's the film you like the most. Um, so we like to try and break it into the objective and subjective ratings just for that reason, because sometimes something's bonkers and it's a shitty movie, but it's just too much fun to say that it wasn't my favorite. Tango and Cash is a perfect example. That's a bonkers, shitty movie, but God almighty, did I, did, you know, did we love it? Um, so with that said, Travis, I would love to get your objective ratings of 2006's Night of the Museum, 1999's The Thomas Crown Affair, and 2021's Red Notice. Uh, I'll give them to you one, two, three, and then if you have particular questions, please let me know. Mm-hmm. Objectively, Night at the Museum won this trilogy to me. Uh, then I would go Red Notice... Then I would go the Thomas Crown Affair. Okay. Tell me. And I'll. Okay. I'll go ahead. I was gonna say I would like to know uh, why Thomas Crown Affair wound up, you know, rounding out third place for you. How Red Notice was able to beat out the Thomas Crown Affair objectively. I know when I say expectations, that kind of says, well, hey, shouldn't that be subjective? 
but Night at the Museum and Red Notice, they have a very specific audience. You know, Night at the Museum is a children's film. If you can get the grandparents with Dick Van Dyke, great. Red Notice, as you've said in the review and tonight, let's put three charming leads on screen and hope that they have enough charm to make this enjoyable. I don't know if they had enough to make it enjoyable, but they had a good deal of charm. Mm -hmm. The Thomas Crown Affair, to me, feels like it's straining to be a more adult picture. So the sins that it commit, while maybe Red Notice and Night at the Museum do it as well, it's it's hard to forgive it in a remake of a 60s picture that's supposed to be adult-oriented. So that's why I think objectively it's a complete failure. Okay. Whereas Red Notice, like you said, you laughed out loud a few times. So did I. That's a bare minimum level of success that I don't even think Thomas Crown hit. All right. I like it. What about you? Ooh. So my number one is is a very clear number one. I, I agree. I think objectively Night at the Museum was the best film. I think overall story-wise and what they were trying to accomplish with it, I think it works. I do think, as we said before, I think the lead... I don't know if it was Ben Stiller was invested in this or if it was he was hot at the time. I don't think he was necessarily the right casting for this. And I think one of the biggest flaws with Night at the Museum is, again, I think all of these movie, well, this one in Red Notice, like definitely faltered with trying to cater and try, you know, with, with different crowds. Richard Gervais, I think, was a distraction for me in Night of the Museum because he was just completely misused. And honestly, I don't think he was appropriate for the movie at all. Um, just because his jokes weren't landing well enough for an adult for it to be a Shrek situation where they're like, oh, you know, they're hiding adult jokes in here so that adults can enjoy it too. And I I don't think children would understand why what some of he was do what he was doing was was humorous. Um but again, just the way that the movie was shot um, I do remember thinking like there were some nice shots of like showing, you know, the, the scale of the museum and how empty it felt with, you know, Larry being alone at the beginning. And then as things became to, you know, came to life and, you know, the hustle and bustle of the museum at the end of the day, I, I think it was, it's probably the stronger of the three. I am a little torn between the Thomas crown affair and red notice because I'm trying to put away my subjective feelings about the two of them. And I, are you implying that I didn't, Brett? No, 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 no. I'm just saying for me, I it's it's a struggle for me to do it with the two of them. Um, yeah, I I would have to to lean more on the side where I, I do believe Red Notice was probably better, and and very much for the same reason where it understood what it was trying to do and was at least successful in the kind of a little bit of the tongue in cheekness and with who they cast in. I would love to see how much of that was scripted and how much of that was the the actors kind of doing their own thing. But at the end of the day, I do believe that movie was a little bit more self-aware with what it was doing and used its talent better. Whereas the Thomas Crown Affair, I said it before, it's almost, there's moments of it where it's almost awkward to watch, where it's just like, it looks like it's supposed to be an adult relationship but they're still very weird and almost immature and lustful, but, like, we're also supposed to feel like there's true love here somewhere. And, like, at the end of the day, I just... I do feel like the Thomas... Can I interrupt you to say one thing? Yeah. At the worst, Thomas Crown Affair felt like a softcore porn, and I don't mean that as a compliment. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. I just... Again, there's no... The Thomas Crown Affair winds up, again, having no stakes in that entire movie. Like... And then her, I think my the biggest problem I had with the Thomas Crown Affair is how strong we tried to portray Catherine. And then at the end of the day, just turned her into the cliche, you know, woman who felt like, oh my God, I fell for him and he tricked me. And I'm just like, this was not the way I thought this character was going to go. Like she was supposed to be much stronger. And like, to me, it would have been more interesting if she had pulled a fast one on him and he had been the one who you know was like left like oh my god like you actually you know i i need to be with you and like 
I think that's what they were trying to do with some of the psychiatrist scenes, which again, I was laziness to me throwing that in there. That's where they realized that the story wasn't being told correctly. So yeah, again, at the end of the day, I, I, I would agree. I think it's not at the museum and then red notice and the, the Thomas crown affair. I just, I don't think there was much to the Thomas crown affair. Yeah, agreed. No, I'm surprised we were in lockstep on that, but I'm very interested to hear your subjective. So do you want to lead that one off? Absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> this is another one that's a little bit of a, a little tussle. At first, I would have said not at the museum, but if I'm honest, I, I would say Red Notice is probably my subjective. If I was, if someone was to say, and after watching Red Notice, I think there was a certain level of disappointment where my, my knee-jerk reaction was like, I don't think I'd ever watch that movie again. Like, I just was so disappointed. But having some time to, to step away from it and really think about it, I'm like, if I had to watch one of these three movies again, it would be Red Notice because I still did get a couple chuckles. And as much as some of it drove me nuts and I thought was like, not necessarily lazy, but it was just like, even the, like, the daddy stuff was kind of shoehorned in so that we would, I guess, somehow, like, it would make sense as to why Ryan Reynolds' character would want to open up and, like, be vulnerable, but... A lot of it is just, I don't know if it's a pacing issue or just like they don't do a good job of establishing that other than just like we'll sprinkle it in there so we can say it's there. But Red Notice was, I, I would probably go back and watch that over the others. The only reason the Night Museum might have a, a run for it is if I did have to sit down with like, you know, my kids or something like that and watch a family movie and they scrolled through those, I could see me selecting that over some other trash that's out there. But again, that's a very specific situation as opposed to just me sitting down. And then I have no plans on ever going back and watching the Thomas Crown Affair. So that is clearly my subjectively. I just I'm like, I that movie did absolutely nothing for me. No, that's fair. And I mean, bringing up watching it with, you know, your children, that's the definition of subjective. So I, I like that we have that delineation because it does matter. It, subjective is going to mean different for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, my subjective is just to flip my objective. You're going to be shocked to know I would take Thomas Crown over the other two, even though I've shit all over it for a podcast and a half really so go so again my my thought is when we say subject like this is you you're not allowed to do laundry like you have to sit down and actually watch the movie i would love to know why thomas crown affair takes it for you so night at the museum was always going to be at the bottom because subjectively i'm not a father i don't regularly babysit small children there's no reason for me to ever watch it mm -hmm. so if it's not done perfectly or at least very well it's an automatic no and that's where it lives. That's fair. It's interesting that you brought up the, hey, you can't do laundry. You have to actually sit down and watch it. If I could do laundry, it would be more of an argument for Red Notice because I can float in and out of it. And there's always uh, at least a smirking scene available to me. Mm -hmm. The reason I picked Thomas Crown Affair, while it is laughably bad at times, it's the only movie of the three that made me think about anything now maybe it was a brief lazy scene with a psychiatrist or maybe it's a a brief scene at the end with uh detective mccann talking about who gives a shit about artwork mm -hmm. and even the nina simone soundtrack over that last heist it gave me actual cinematic enjoyment so it at least gave me three scenes to kind of think about that maybe after I left the movie would still be on my mind in any sort of way. So by my definition, by subjective standard, it's got to be number one. And that's damning with fate praise. All right. I, uh, I like your justification, sir. Again, that's why we, I think I preface, this is why we have to do an objective and a subjective <laughs> ranking of these movies. Cause it can, uh, it can very much be different. Yeah, I think this is the most varied one I've had, which I guess is the the silver lining of picking a uh, a trilogy of this nature. Yes, absolutely. So to give a little division between ranking and stuff like that, do you want to go ahead and get into some character swap? Yeah, let's see if we pick the same one. 
All right, so after a trilogy is done, we like to wrap up here, and we like to take one character out of one of these three movies, and we like to transport them into the universe, into the movie, or into another one of the movies of the trilogy. So, Travis, I'm going to hand it off to you. I'd love to hear yours first. What was your character swap for this trilogy? I uh, took Detective McCann, as played okay. by Dennis Leary, and I put him in Red Notice. <laughs> okay. Is he... So I have to ask, is that yours? No, it is not mine. It is not mine. Okay. Um, it's pretty brief, but it kind of speaks to what I was talking about with stakes, or I guess both of us were talking about stakes and antagonist, protagonist. I'm going to put McCann in Red Notice, and he's going to be a character that has the knowledge of what happened in the Thomas Crown affair. Okay. So McCann has got a brother, kind of law enforcement adjacent. He's a younger brother. He happens to work security at the museum uh, where the first Cleopatra egg is going to be stolen by Ryan Reynolds at the beginning of the movie, that chase scene. Mm -hmm. But instead of having this G.I. Joe level action, the brother is a security guard and he's going to get injured in that chase. He's actually going to get paralyzed from the waist down. And McCann's already got a distaste for this art thief world. He doesn't understand who gives a shit. He'd rather out out here solving real crimes and his brother being injured is going to be the impetus to him quitting the force and going after the three leads heroes villains whatever you want to call them from red notice okay and i'm thinking mccann was so kind of I don't know if confused is the right word, but again, he didn't understand all of this motivation to go after the art world, yada, yada, yada. So when Banning returns that painting, he kept it. And he's going to basically fence it to fund his life to pursue the Red Notice villains. So you can pretty much have the same movie you have, but now at least you have somebody chasing this trio that has a reason to do so and why it's real to him. Mm -hmm. You know, because he doesn't understand brushstrokes and stealing that, but he understands that it led to his brother's paralysis. So now he's going to make it his life work to pursue these villains. So he's you about sub out the Interpol subline with kind of a, a ex-cop who's on the edge who's lost everything and boom now you have stakes and you can still have your art heist movie i like the idea that he's about to paint his masterpiece but his medium is justice <laughs> <laughs> he might work with uh, john w creasy <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you got where i was going with that <laughs> oh yeah okay i like i uh surprisingly enough i did not go with the detective mccann but i do like what you did with that but before you get to yours is that so hard to do no to give a backstory to somebody involved in that first heist they would now want to pursue these people well i think that that's what they tried to do in red notice when uh Dawes felt betrayed because you know the rocks character like she trusted him and then he betrayed her but i'm like there was no we never had any background of you guys being partners or anything like that. It's like, he literally came out of fucking nowhere to help you with this. Like, I don't understand why you were so butthurt. Yeah, that he... she openly admits, you know, I don't normally trust these kind of people after 72 hours. Yeah, so it's like, I think... For good reason. And it's... And I guess that's, again, what happened with Red Notices. Again, it's like, it's all of these, like... And that's why I went back. I'm, if they're trying to kind of flip the genre on its head or be tongue-in-cheek about how kind of silly these genres are... That's cool, but they never went the the full mile. They would never went full meta with it. They always they just kind of wanted to dip their toe in. And I'm like, if you had gone fully into that or made some joke about like you don't even know who I am, like why are you upset about all of this? And then it just been one of those like I don't I don't even know why I'm angry about this. Like it kind of would have been humorous 
And it feels like that would have actually been appropriate in that universe. Like, that's something like, oh, if they had done that, I would have, like, knowing how the banter between Ryan Reynolds and The Rock and Gal Gadot, I'm like, oh, that would have been appro- perfectly appropriate in this movie. But they they didn't do that. They still just went completely, like I said, over the top, guns blazing for three people who like to steal art, which, again, makes... I will harp on it because it just it makes literally no sense why there is such an aggression against these three for stealing art of which of which one they stole from a museum. Okay, cool. Let's let's do that. One they stole from an arms dealer and the third one they stole from a Nazi bunker. So two of the three that they stole were from bad people. (laughs) Yeah, and it just speaks to the algorithm. I didn't even really think about it as simply as that museum arms dealer nazi we're just checking all the boxes (laughs) yeah it really is and again if that's the point is you're making a joke about how like oh my god how cookie cutter these things can be then that would have been a very very interesting movie like it would have been funny for them to be very tongue-in-cheek about it again we talk about 22 jump street like if they had gone the full monty i would i would have absolutely loved red notice but they didn't. They pulled their punches and they made just they made a generic movie that was almost about making generic movies, but didn't realize they were making a generic movie about making generic movies. Like it's just it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, put that on the poster. <laughs> uh, but what there. about your character swap? So my character swap. All right. I took. Thomas Crown. And I replaced him with the father who was who was getting the egg stolen, the billionaire from from Egypt. And my character swap was Thomas Crown and Catherine are getting married. And Thomas decides he wants to give the ultimate wedding gift to his Cleopatra. Right. So he's thinking himself, he's the Mark Anthony in the situation. He's going to gift her these eggs. And at the end of the day. It's going to be another situation very much like I think they were supposed to be Ukrainian. Um, basically, the group that he set up at the beginning of the Thomas Crown affair and basically just sold down the river. So he's going to wind up hiring the Red Notice crew, like maybe, you know, both of them separately to get this and ultimately try and betray the two of them, the two groups, the bishops and um, and Booth. But at the end of the day, they're going to figure it out and then they're going to wind up flipping it back on Thomas Crown and he's still going to wind up. He's going to be arrested by Interpol for stealing Nazi treasure and he's going to get his comeuppance. So at the end of the day, we're almost going to kind of merge the beginning of the Thomas Crown affair with Red Notice. And that's that was my character swap as I wanted to see Thomas Crown get his comeuppance. And I was like, I think this actually could could make sense. Uh, oh, you fucking nailed it. Yeah, it's interesting that if you combine Red Notice and Thomas Crown, there's a root of a good movie in there, but you really have to mix elements. Yes. yeah, you, It's interesting because we both kind of did the same thing, but in different ways. Yeah, you would have to cherry pick out of the two of them, but I think if you, you Frankenstein them together, you could actually get a pretty fun movie. The Thomas Crown Notice? Red Affair? Yeah, Brett, I, don't I almost know. feel like we need to combine our two character swaps and then write a full-length script with, you know, you having Thomas Crown ultimately take the fall at the end as a comeuppance. Mm-hmm. And all the while, McCann's working in the background to pursue these three people who are going to ultimately screw Crown over. Oh, that would be fantastic, too, because then, again, it's going to be the enemy of my enemy. When McCann finds out that Thomas Crown's behind it, he's going to have no choice but to team up with the three crooks because he's finally, he's going to get the one that got away. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Again, I can't believe we don't plan this on any level, but yeah, that's... That's the super character swap right there. (laughs) Oh, man. All righty. With that, let's jump into the the Rotten Tomatoes aggregate objective or the uh, the critic and audience score here. Travis, I want you to take our three movies: Night of the Museum, Thomas Crown Affair, Red Notice. And first, I want you to try and rank them in order from most critically acclaimed to least critically acclaimed, 
or not critically claimed at all, you know, depending on these three. So which one do you think critics enjoyed the most to the one you think they enjoyed the least? Uh, I'll say Night at the Museum was number one. Okay. Do you want me to give you how many votes each of these got? I always like to give you that information, even though it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, these are more modern films. I don't think it's going to be that important. So Unless you think that it I is. won't give you the exact number, but I will tell you they've all had about the same number of reviews, which I feel is good. Critic reviews. Yeah, I still think Night at the Museum will be one. Thomas Crown Affair will be two. Red Notice will be three. All righty. Travis. Number one, the Thomas Crown Affair. Do you want to guess its, its critic rating? Uh, I, I thought that they would fall for the fake prestige of that movie. I'll still say it's low. We'll go with a nice 69%. Damn, you were real fucking close, dude. 70. Came in at a 70. So not certified fresh by Rotten Tomato standards, but it's still it's still not a splat. Not in the museum came in. I was just in. going for a 69 joke. I know, but you were really close. Like, that's the funny part. So um, maybe we could put a review on here and get it down to 69 hey yo tomato meter uh night of the museum came in second do you want to guess what it got i'll say 61 43 oh shit so knowing red notice came in third do you want to guess what it got (laughs) i don't know what it got i'm happy that it got it i'll say 33 percent. 36 it got crushed by the critics all right you know Hmm? i'm sorry not to make it too meta but i think part of that is our critics being predisposed to hate netflix shit oh i totally agree thomas crown affair is not much better but because it thomas crown affair was a prestigious release you know yeah, it's one of those. I guarantee if you went and looked at Fast and Furious movies, people probably shat all over those too. But like, it's you have to understand what you're like. You have to understand the context of what you're watching. Like, yeah, you're never going to rate a you know Fast and Furious movie against The Godfather. Like, obviously not. But if you go in knowing you're watching a Fast and Furious movie, like, rate it on that scale, on a Fast and Furious scale, right? So let's uh, let's jump over to the audience reception. How do you think audiences received these three movies? I'm deeply concerned that Red Notice is going to win. So I'm going to go ahead and make that prediction that Red Notice was number one. If you have to give me a percentage, say uh, 72%. All right. Do you, do you just want me to you just lock in that one in? You want me to tell if you're right or not? Uh, okay, well, no, I'll do, I'll do all three. I'll say okay. United at the Museum second at 68. Okay. And then I'll put the Thomas Crown Affair last at 55. All right, so I'm going to do this in a roundabout order, and then I'll sum, sum it up to make sure we know what's going on. You were very close with Night of the Museum score. I think you gave it a 68, and it came in at 67. Audience score. Okay. It was the least favorite of the three movies. Coming in at second place with a score of 77%. Oh, Jesus. The Thomas Crown Affair. Jesus. And with a whopping 92%, we have Red Notice. (laughs) How many audience reviews on Red Notice? Okay, this varies... Greatly. Audience is 100 plus verified for Red Notice. It is 50,000 plus on Thomas Crown, and it's yeah, 250 yeah. plus on Not of the Put Museum. Put us on the payroll, Netflix. <laughs> so, yes, Netflix only has about 100 verified. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. Splat, 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 splat. It is, it is a just, oh, good Lord. People could not stand it. Yeah, Brad, I think we need to reach out to Netflix. There's turn off your brain and enjoy movies, and then there's this. (laughs) One of the reviews. 
Red Notice is limp and dull and does not uh, and does more to showcase the shortcomings of each of its marquee idols than it does to highlight their bankable charisma. Fucking shit. Yeah, people are tearing this apart. Wait, wait, wait. I'm confused. The Red Notice audience score is what? 92. Okay, and you're reading audience I'm, no, reviews? No, I'm reading critic. critic I'm reading I'm reading critic reviews. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The fix is in. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I knew what was going on. Red Notice is not a movie. It's a 200 million existential crisis in light. <laughs> I mean, some of these people actually have some good one-liners here. Yeah, the thing is, it's not that bad. It's just generic Hollywood bullshit. The the problem but is yeah that variance. Mm -hmm. eh. The the problem with Red Notice to me is you go into it with such high expectations because of the oh. the level of talent in that movie. Even to I, the director, Brett, what I saw who I saw who the director was. I did not have high expectations. Yeah. Even with, I mean, Dodgeball's a classic. Again, Skyscraper, not so much. Not in this genre. True. But what would you call Dodgeball? Would you call that just straight comedy, or would you have called that a sports movie? No, that's 90% comedy, 10% sports, but... And I guess that's what I was expecting for Red Notice, was 90% comedy, 10% heist. Again, that's that's what I say from the... I, I really expected this to be more of a kind of witty comedy than i expected it to be a we're going to do a you know illegitimate heist movie with charismatic funny people yeah but sports lends itself way more to comedy than a heist movie does because there's no life and death stakes with sports yeah so yeah i could understand if sky skyscraper had been a modern action masterpiece why you would bring this director back but as it stands i assume it was a profitable movie and the rock liked working with this guy and that's the only reason he's brought on for red notice i mean when you're literally whistling the theme to indiana jones you got to raise the bar a little bit higher than dodgeball mm hmm yeah when you call out that the third egg is a MacGuffin again that's that's where it's like they just did not embrace the meta element of this movie. They just, they they really kind of haphazardly threw something together. Well, let me disagree with that. I think the problem with some of these lazy Netflix movies and just movies in particular is they think the meta element is just saying like, oh, hey, we're ripping off Indiana Jones and then moving on. Mm-hmm calling out the fact that you're ripping off something doesn't give you license to then do a watered down mediocre piece of shit version of it mm -hmm. and if, if that's what you're gonna do like like we've said on this podcast a golden rule don't reference something if you're not gonna be at least comparable to it mm -hmm. and I guess that's the definition of this trilogy yeah, it's almost like they were trying to rip off of the uh, the old Picasso quote, great art, you know, it's like good artists make something and the great artists steal. The only problem is that they didn't steal it very well either. <laughs> like it's, it just, yeah, God, Red Notice again had so much potential. And like I said, I feel like that's the reason it's getting shit on the hardest is it's hard to go into a movie like that with no expectations Yeah, I mean, it had a talent in front of the camera, but I almost think, too, you do a disservice to yourself as a movie if the three lead actors are all just counting on charisma. At, at a certain point, you need a character actor in there to kind of balance things out, and they just put three charming people in a movie. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, sir. With that said, I don't think we have anything else for this wrap-up, so if you've got nothing else, I think we'll go ahead and, uh, and call it here. Yes, sir. I guess we'll uh, see the folks back for uh, Will Smith's latest attempt at an Oscar. <laughs> Do you think they give it to him? Is it just like a 
like like a pity Oscar, almost like what they did with uh, DiCaprio. I mean, with the uh, dearth of quality releases, I, I could. We'll have to watch the movie, but I could see King Richard getting a lot more traction than it would in a normal Hollywood year. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, sir. Well, I'll see you back. I don't have a quote from any of the movies. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>